Ranked choice voting works. It costs less than holding runoff elections. And studies show it's popular with voters and reduces negative attacks. That's why cities and states are looking to ranked choice voting to improve their elections. Would ranked choice voting help in your community? Find out more at fairvote.org. Waymo TV is filmed for a live studio audience being held against their will. Hey everybody and welcome back to another edition of Waywo.tv. Today on the show we have Alfred Kunawa. He's a writer, he's a YouTuber, he's a stand-up comedian about all things pro wrestling. It also looks like we have School of Chalk in the house today. It's uh, some kind of band. They're all like f- five and six years old. That might be pretty cool. Let's head on over to the George Carlin Podcast Studio and meet up with our host, Mr. BJ Mendelson. Hey, Alfred, thank you so much for joining me today on Weibo TV. Uh, would you take a moment just to introduce yourself and tell us what you're working on? Yes, my name is Alfred Kunawa. I write for Forbes about pro wrestling, WWE, AEW, everything in between. I also contribute to Wrestling Inc. twice a week. And I have a YouTube channel that I love, Pro Wrestling Bits, on YouTube at Pro Wrestling Bits. So right now I'm just working on, just got done working on the greatest moments of the PG era. As I it saw. looks like WWE is moving to TV 14. So uh, very happy with the feedback to that. A lot, a lot of moments in the PG era I think are overlooked, but when you're looking back yes. on it, some of the more classic era uh, moments came from that era. Yeah, you know, I think I was just watching your video and uh, you were spot on with Becky Lynch. Uh, that was not a PG moment, and yet it's part is part of the PGR, and it's something that we will remember. I, I'm curious what what stood out to you from the PG era that that you're always going to be like that was cool. I think the sea change in the relationship between WWE and its fan base. I felt like for a long time, WWE, even during the times of the internet, uh, WWE was able to control what they were going to do. And regardless of if the fans wanted it or not, they would just soldier through it, which sometimes they were proven right. I'm not saying whether or not that's a right or wrong philosophy to have. Sometimes you do want to do your best laid plans. But in that era, I just noticed there were all these stories we had that were not the planned stories. They were not the guys at WWE and the women that WWE wanted to push, whether it was Becky Lynch, Brian Danielson, which was a great moment wrestlemania 30 yes. kofi mania was something that yes. kind of fell into their laps and it's something that's a grassroots once fans were able to mobilize during that period it helped change storylines and i thought that was fascinating to watch yeah and we got bianca belair versus sasha banks you know headlining a wrestlemania so yeah. I, i'm curious what what your thoughts are in terms of just the pg era itself now like looking back at like, let's assume people uh People listening to us, we we recorded this episode back in July when the conversation was first starting about WWE leaving the Attitude Era. Uh, I'm sorry, the PG Era. But I'm curious, what? How would you summarize it? Like, what what would you be the big takeaway from the PG Era? I think, and it's funny because John Cena in particular did not make the list for any of these great moments, but he was at or around them. And I would just say John Cena. I say that's the first thing I think of when I think of that era, because it's kind of misleading to just think of John Cena as a squeaky clean PG guy. He obviously came from the Thugonomics character and then kind of refined it, but he did get edgy when he needed to. I felt like John Cena was just the perfect utility tool for the era of PG. I think that's one thing that he has over a lot of his contemporaries when we're talking about The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, 
Frost and Hulk Hogan, this, that, and the third, is John Cena worked with a lot more limitations. And he did it for yes. longer, and he was very good at whether he had to be the straight-edge guy next to CM Punk. He had to be the company man and kind of the milk toast bit to that to help CM Punk get over it. He could do that. Or he could be the more hard-edge guy when he was going after The Rock. And he seemed like he was being very edgy in terms of some of the stuff he said about The Rock, who's the established WWE guy. So I thought John Cena really stood out in the PG era of uh, so many different types of stories that they told with John Cena. Yeah, you know, I think something that a lot of people don't really realize is that, like, you know, the Rock, Rock, the Rock had a writer, right? Like, he had a guy that was working with him to come up with his promos, but at the same time, he had a blank slate. Like, when he went out live, he during the attitude era, he had a lot of flexibility in terms of what he could say, what he could do. Cena really came up during a time where everything was highly scripted mm-hmm. and highly structured, and so I, you're, you're right. I think we don't really give him credit for working within the limitations that that were installed after let's say like 2007 2008 but let me let me ask you like when when did you first start writing about wrestling like when did that when well let me go back further when did you know that you were a wrestling fan like what was that that moment for you oh it's all my life the first thing i ever remember seeing on television is the ultimate warrior and from then on, it was just love at first sight. And I've just loved wrestling. And I found out at an early age that it wasn't real. And it didn't ruin it for me the way I feel like it did some people. In that, I remember we were playing superheroes. And one of my friends was Superman, one was Batman. And they took all the good superheroes, right? So I... It was just like, fine, then I'll be Sting. I'll be the wrestler Sting. That's my superhero. And they're just like, some kid made some comment. Like, and my dad said that stuff's not even real. And I was like, oh, I guess, whatever. Who cares? Like, and it never ruined it for me. In fact, I got more into wrestling around junior high when I found out that things were scripted. I had this friend, Tony Tamburini, who would, he, he would always know what was happening. He would come to school and be like, you know, Shawn Michaels is coming back and he's going to win their title. And then it would happen a month later. I'm like, how the hell do you know this stuff? And so he introduced me to dirt sheets and I became fascinated because then you see the sausage being made. You see the politics behind the scene. I really do think that that aspect of wrestling, even though what we see on camera makes us fans and is great, that behind the scenes aspect needs to be documented more and more in terms of whether it's scripted show or whether it's a reality show. That's as we've seen this year, that's where the real juice is. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that frustrates me um, because there's not a lot of what we would call like wrestling journalists. Right, like there's a small group of them that that cover it, and you know, like people can pick and choose based on that small group. Uh, but you you have stood out, like to me, because I've been reading your stuff for years now, and, and like you always have this like really funny, insightful kind of take. And so I'm curious, like, what? How do you approach when you write about wrestling? When you write about the stuff with the sausage being made, like, how do you approach that? Like, what's your point of view? Yeah, well, there's an element of seriousness just based on the fact that it is Forbes and they we always like the business angle. We like the money angle and whatnot. And wrestling inherently is a pretty dark business in terms of a lot of the content that we would uh, be able to cover. But I always go with uh, an element of comedy. You know, it's not always going to be funny, but if there's ever an opportunity to implement comedy into this angle, there's it's I think it's a great opportunity because uh uh, a lot of people in terms of consuming information these days, they don't want to be lectured or there's only a certain way you're going to get to them. There was a period of time where John Stewart was the most trusted newsman, yes. you know, in all of news over CNN and Fox because people began to realize that they were in the tank and they had their own agendas and whatnot. And so it, comedy can be a very powerful tool, especially when you're talking about things that are so serious, because it is a way that you can connect with somebody because it's involuntary and people will laugh at something that they didn't even know they uh, believed them or agreed with and it'll make them think more so i love uh, putting comedy in my content whenever and wherever i can 
Hey, it's me, God. I know it's been a while, and I haven't been the best dad, especially this century. Well, I was going through some shit, and you know what? I'm not going to talk about it. All you need to know is that I'm doing commercials now. I've got bills to pay, too. Do you have any idea how much I just lost on crypto? A lot. A lot! And so now God needs your money. Like, for real this time. Not like all those other times every Sunday. You know who else needs your money? B.J. Mendelson. So give him $5 by visiting buymeacoffee.com slash B.J. Mendelson. That website again is buymeacoffee.com slash B.J. Mendelson. Buymeacoffee.com slash B.J. Mendelson. And if you don't give B.J. your money, you and I are going to have problems. Big ones. Hey there, boys and girls. It's your old podcast pal, Ralph Garman here, inviting you to invite me into your ear holes five days a week with my podcast, The Ralph Report. Join me, Eddie Pence, Steve Ashton, and the rest of the happy lunatics that make up the Garmy for as little as 15 cents a day. And for that, you get five shows a week filled with music and jokes and news and history and just so much good stuff that you're going to be glad you chose The Ralph Report. How do you listen? Well, it's pretty simple. Go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash The Ralph Report and sign up today. There's four amazing levels of subscription that you can join, each one with their own special bunch of benefits. So check it out. Listen to me, Ralph Garman, on The Ralph Report. Patreon.com slash The Ralph Report. Yeah, and tell me about the stand-up because you've been doing it for a long time, and um, I don't that I I don't know if wrestling fans necessarily know that you also do stand-up in addition to write. Like, I feel like there might be a perception that you're just like a wrestling journalist. But tell me, tell me about the stand-up, how that started, like um, how you how it's still working today through the pandemic. Yeah, it's going great. I mean, I absolutely love stand-up. I do a lot more stand-up now that things are opening up, and I was even doing it through the pandemic and Zoom. And it's funny, I started stand-up out of my wrestling writing career. I was writing for Bleacher Report, and I was doing the show called WWE WTF, and it was a very fun show, very popular show that we did for about 83 episodes. Uh, but the first maybe month I was doing it, it was kind of like weekend update before wrestling. Like I would just take some crazy wrestling news story and make a joke about it. Right. And then I'll do like sketches and whatnot. So uh, the first couple of episodes, I thought they were horrible because I was really just ranting. There were no jokes being told and I would watch them and I didn't like them at all. So I just bought a joke book off the Internet, like how to write a joke. Maybe there's a way I could learn how. And I had no idea that it was this craft and art that you can manipulate. There's all these different jokes formats and formulas. And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the process. I read the book a couple of times that week. And then I just, instead of just like rambling, I would have 50 jokes written and I would take the best five to seven jokes. And I just love that process. So from that, when the show was over, I would still write jokes. And then I decided, well, let me just start doing them on stage and see if I like that. And then when I put those two together, I, you know, I absolutely loved it. Like, do you remember what the, what the book was? It was a yellow book. I think it might have been Judy Carter's book, but I don't think it was that one. I, it was like uh, Secrets of Joke Writing, I think is what it was called. 
And it was like this paperback and it just had every, really everything you need to know about how a joke is told, how every single joke needs a target and just the rule of threes, you know, things that are conventionally understood and then just tools and techniques that you could use to write better. I love, I love that you bring this up because I, I think sometimes people think comedy writing is magic and they don't realize, no, there is a process. Because I had the same journey. I have, uh, I forget what year it's from, but it's Saul Sachs who wrote like I Dream and Genie writing about the craft of comedy writing. And that, that's what I read to, to teach myself like how to, how to write and prepare. And so when you went on stage, do you, do you do a lot of the wrestling material on stage and how do people react to that? Yes, I do have wrestling material that does pretty well. And uh, I try to make it more about myself and stories of me watching wrestling. But when I do make the wrestling references, especially to the more famous wrestlers, they definitely resonate and people get it. So, I mean, I've got a bit about, you know, secretly watching Monday Night Raw every night and then and a bit about how crazy it is that I write for Forbes, like about wrestling. It's just right. uh, which is just does not compute in terms of these two worlds. Uh, but yeah, there's a couple of things that I put in when it comes to wrestling and comedy. So what, what has surprised you the most? Like, is there been a wrestling joke where you're like, maybe only wrestling fans will get this, but then they, they, you got like a great reaction. Like, is there an instance you can think of that just kind of surprised you on stage? Yes, I used to do this bit about Apollo Crews and how they put, like, they just took two black celebrities' names, you know, Apollo Creed and Terry Crews put them together. And I was just thinking, like, what names did they leave on the cutting room floor? Like, what <laughs> names didn't they use? Was there, like, a Denzel L. Jackson? And, you know, just going through that thing. But when I would say Apollo Crews, more times than not, it would get, like, a reaction where people were like, oh, yeah, I know that guy from wrestling, which, which would surprise me be, only because wrestling is nowhere near as popular as it was. And with all due respect to Apollo Crews, he's more of kind of like a mid-card guy who you wouldn't think is a household name. But there were quite a few times where I would get a reaction and have to pause because I said Apollo Crews and people would clap. It's, you know, he's one of those guys that I think he's just so freaking good at what he does. And no matter where he is on the card, I think he stands out. Yeah, uh, like I've, I was a fan of his on on the Indies. I was, it was exciting when he came into NXT. Uh, I've been a little frustrated with the, the main roster run, but I think you could say that about most people that have come up from NXT. Yeah. Uh, let me let me ask you though, like when you when you write about the business of wrestling, how much do you go into the ratings, and how much do you think the ratings matter in the way wrestling fans sometimes think that they do? I do think the ratings are very important. A lot of what I write about are the ratings. They're not everything, especially in today's world where entertainment and content is so fractured, where streaming is now a player. But television ratings are definitely important in getting the most money. That's basically, and it's funny because WWE's ratings aren't particularly great when you look at them historically and what they used to be. They're a fraction of what they used to be, actually. But in comparison to all these other shows, the fact that they rate so high and Raw so consistently is number one, same thing you say about SmackDown and even AEW, uh, that's what matters when it comes to negotiating new television deals. And these networks are getting so much more desperate to stay relevant that WWE stands to benefit. So it's the right. skewed ratings that has really helped them kind of back into a situation where they're, they're essentially failing up and making yes. more money than they ever have. But I think a lot of people objectively would say the product is nowhere near as gripping and entertaining as it was at their peak. Yeah, this is something that frustrates me about the. I'm convinced wrestling is a billion dollar industry, but they, it, it, like you said, they fail upwards. They don't realize what, what they have, right? You have a global product that anyone anywhere on earth can instantly understand. Like a pro wrestling match is very good guy, bad guy. 
That's it, right? Like it's very easy to tell people. I've had uh, a couple of network presidents tell me that the reason why, uh, let's use sci-fi, uh, sci like why was SmackDown on sci-fi? Uh, I was told directly from the guy who made the decision that the reason why it wasn't the ratings of SmackDown itself, it was that the ratings were consistent enough that they could go to the other advertisers and say, all these other shows, you know, we're the top rated network. Well, you're the top rated network because you've got wrestling fans coming in consistently. Yes. And, and so they like, I wish I could just scream that at wrestling fans so that they realize, you know, the, the stuff matters. Like the quarter hours do matter, especially when we think about like the construction of a, a weekly TV show, but they don't understand that wrestling can, can, as you say, fail upwards and probably continue to do it for the next 10, 15 years. I would think, yeah. um, let me, let me ask you though, like when let's talk about the, the ratings as it, as it relates to AEW for a second. Um, what what do you think that the ratings tell us about AEW in terms of viewership? Like it, it seems like they have had a hard time catching on beyond a, a certain segment of wrestling fans. And what is that story? What do you think that that means? I think it is a much improved version of what happened with TNA, where TNA would have a national television deal. They were a real player once upon yep. a time. They had that audience of 1.3 million. Uh, but the difference and the reason AEW is more evolved is while they do seem to have a ceiling at about a million, you know, no matter what they thrudge you, they have a ceiling. And whether it's competition or whether it's a time now where there's not a lot of competition in the summer, uh, they do seem to have a ceiling about one million. The difference is that AEW fans tend to buy more. They tend to, you know, go to the events. They buy the merchandise, which is really the crux of how AEW began. And people who slight AEW even call it a T-shirt company because, oh, they're just a bunch of guys who can sell merch. Well, they can sell merch. They can sell tickets. They have solid television ratings. And that combination is what I think is going to keep them relevant uh, for, for longer than how TNA was relevant, uh, but there is a ceiling. It tells me there is a still a very hardcore zeitgeist among AEW. You're going to want to be very careful with that because this is what ECW was. And Tony Khan is a huge fan of ECW, but when you get that hardcore audience, that's great. That can burn out. It's quicker to burn out and burn through these people, especially because these are some of the most cynical people and they constantly watch the product. So instead of WWE, which had this big audience of, you know, once upon a time, 20 million people, maybe yeah. that slowly whittled down because ah, they're mainstream and they kind of grew out of it and whatnot. And then you got to the hardcores. AEW starting with the hardcore. So they're going to want to grow that audience as much as possible. It's one of the things I like talking about more than anything that I think could be polarizing is I just, I like the company's success, but they need to grow out of just appeasing the hardcore fans because you're playing a dangerous game long-term. This is Rosie Tran from Rosie and BJ Save the World, a podcast asking big questions and discussing how to solve these big issues. This is a podcast for people just like you who ask, has the war on drugs been successful? Do we need universal basic income? Should we legalize sex work? Go to rosieandbjsavetheworld.com to get more confused. Do you want to grow your audience without sacrificing your privacy? then the Stupid Sexy Privacy miniseries is just for you. It's a short, special presentation that will run every Thursday morning right here on Weiwo.tv for the next 23 weeks. In each short episode, we'll teach you how to preserve as much of your privacy as possible while still participating in the creator economy. You'll also hear from top privacy and disinformation experts who will teach you how to protect yourself from fascists and weirdos. And who doesn't want that? 
So make sure you're subscribed to Weiwo.tv where all podcasts can be found, and we'll see you every Thursday morning for a special presentation of Stupid Sexy Privacy, a Weiwo.tv miniseries. Yeah, uh, I've, I've been very vocal about the lack of screen time for the women. Uh, mm-hmm. In AEW last week, there was about four minutes of airtime on Rampage. Uh, and I mean, I get it. You had an ROH pay-per-view that's coming up. You wanted to do well. He's looking for a TV deal. I totally understand the business side of it, but it's still frustrating to me as a fan uh, of these women to only have like a, a, basically a squash match. Like it wasn't even a match, right? Like at the time of this recording, um, it was... Uh, it was I, I shit. I always I, see it happened so fast. I already forgot it. Was Athena and uh, Chris, Chris Statlander. Statlander. Yeah, yeah, versus the uh, the twins, the twins. Who, who were doing like a, like a cool updated Bella Twins thing. I, I kind of like I've seen them on Dark and I really like them, um, but that was it. And so I'm curious to ask you, like, what do you think that that is driven? Is that a ratings decision? Do you think, or is that a business decision by Tony to to only focus on these hardcore fans who might not like the women's wrestling? Yeah, I definitely think it is a ratings-driven decision. It's one of those things where they do have to take some hits where they're putting somebody newer, like a Takeshita. He didn't do too well in the ratings this week, but man, that guy's fantastic. Yes, he is. Uh, But that's the risk you're going to take is all this talent needs to be honed, developed, and people need to build that connection. And they've always struggled to consistently do that with the women. I think Britt Baker and Jake Cargill are the only two who they've able to tell their story from cradle to grave and create these characters. And the women just it's almost like society in general is whenever there's a problem, the disaffected groups, you know, disproportionately affected groups are always women, black people, minorities, whatnot. And you're seeing that in AEW is that AEW, when it looks to cut things, the women's wrestling, which is seen as a component to men's wrestling, unfortunately, especially on the hardcore circuit, uh, it's going to have to be cut. And I think that's a problem they have that I think it's, because if you look at the ratings with Jade Cargill, she's doing just as good, if not better, some weeks than a lot of their top male stars. It shouldn't be looked at that. It should be looking at who's doing these numbers. And they need to give the women an equal opportunity, not just to be equal, but because some of these women potentially can't outdraw the men. Yeah, you know, what's funny to me is that they failed upwards with Jade Cargill. Like, she is such a presence that if they did nothing with her, she would still be the mm-hmm. star that she, like, she is that good. And I, I, I sometimes think to myself, like, Wow, you lucked into that because she very easily could have gone to WWE and taken a bigger paycheck and, and got on to amazing things, but she went with AEW. Um, sometimes I think they don't know what they have, yeah. right, with her. Like, and you can kind of see that because her storyline started out really well, but now it seems to be kind of meandering a bit and there doesn't seem to be a, a focus. What I, If I could ask you to put your booking hat on for a second, uh, which every wrestling fan loves to do, right? Yeah. Like, what... what how would you go about fixing or at least addressing this uh, with the women on TV and just getting them more airtime? Is it is it what you said with Takeshka of just taking a hit or is there maybe a more sustained approach they can try? This is always a dangerous proportion, but some of these social media interactions, which uh, may or may not be legit or whatnot, they tend to get a lot of people talking. And what I don't like that WWE does sometimes is sometimes they have these really scripted social media interactions, which is not how people. But if they can hone that element, whether it comes to them going back and forth, I think that element of social media and using whether it's YouTube, whether it's all types of media outside of AEW. And then, of course, on television, they have to tell us this. I think they can organically create a community. And they're even doing this with this uh, reality show. I think the reality show is going to be big for AEW in terms of getting women to watch and invest. That is my pipeline. So in addition to booking these great storylines, I think an 
open challenge would be a good idea to just have one women's open challenge a week and you can build new people while making your champion look stable. It's what Thunder Rosa, I think, could really turn around doing because they've shamed her in terms of how they've done this. But I would really use this reality show to try to nab fans outside of wrestling and then bring them into AEW because it's worked for Formula One very well. Yes, yes. I, and see, that's that's why I like your column so much because you're able to to like to draw in something like a Formula One and compare it to how to go wrestling. And I, I don't think that I don't see that too often in like wrestling journalism, which is what I like so much about your work. Uh, what do you think? Uh, this is like a typical media question. Uh, so I apologize as I'm asking it. What do you think the future is of wrestling on TV? Do you, do you think that this TV deal that, let's say the, the TV deal that the, um, WWE had signed, the multi-billion dollar deal, do you think that that's the last deal of that nature that they're, they're going to see? No, not at all. I think this next one might be the last one. I think the streaming bubble may be bursting. Who knows what this means, but it's not good to be a streaming company right now. They're losing a lot of money, including Peacock. You know, Netflix is on the ropes right now. So the word on the street, the, the whispers, especially even among wrestling journalists, is that there might be a streaming issue in terms of it being viable long term. But good for WWE. Their next deal is in 2024. They're going to be negotiating 2023. And they're stock is very high in, in terms of what they would mean to a streaming service. A new streaming service would love a built-in audience of WWE because one of the few good things Peacock can say about itself is how many people watch WWE Network on Peacock, how many subscribers WWE brought in. So an up-and-coming streaming service would love that. Uh, so whether it is streaming or television, which would compete in USA Network needs WWE, so they've got leverage there. I think they're going to sign a huge deal over $3 billion when it comes to the next one. To just throw a number out there who knows what it'll be but i do think it'll be big do you think comcast will eventually pull the trigger and just buy wwe i think they should i think nbc universal comcast uh they're clearly setting up for a sale they own most of wwe with the exception of smackdown and that could be the next deal is a 10 billion dollar sale of wwe uh, rather than it just being a rights deal i don't know why nbc universal would want to just re-up with their rights over buying the company outright Yep. I, I love that you had no hesitation about it. <laughs> like you were like, yeah, yeah. They, they absolutely should. This is something that uh, I feel like it's, we'll see it in our lifetime. Um, probably not in Vince's lifetime. That's, that's kind of right. my working theories. He'll probably pass away or, you know, maybe these charges will actually stick. I hope they do. Uh, and he'll no longer be involved and then they'll, they'll look to sell it. Uh, but let me, let me, I just, before we wrap up, I want to talk to you about the YouTube channel because uh, you, you're putting out great content. You've got like the optimized thumbnails, like you're doing all the things that I'm just tell us about when it started and, and what what makes you happiest about it. I really appreciate that, BJ. It started around the pandemic. It was just everybody's home and I know Internet usage was up and I just decided with some of my free time, I'm going to build this YouTube channel. I just had all these opinions that I wanted to get out there about wrestling that I wasn't really able to incorporate into an article or there was a Forbes article because it wasn't business related. It was just like straightly my opinion on something. So I just decided in the veins of like, whether it's Bill Maher's new rules or Charlamagne the God's dog in the day or Andy Rooney's little rants. I just grew up loving stuff like that, where somebody would just have their opinion on this one topic and take you through what they thought. And so I thought I want to channel in that vein where I'm able to implement comedy and, and just talk about things that I see in the wrestling community every week. And so I've just been doing that for two years. What makes me happiest is that I'm able to find a community of people who want to talk about the things yes. I want to talk about that I don't hear talked about. And there's a big audience for people, regardless of how they feel. And I consider any subscribers, you know, people talk about their followers. To me, these are people who want to engage with my content. 
Okay. Whether for better or for worse, I have some of the same people coming back to disagree with me. I have the same people coming back to agree for certain, and sometimes they're not even the same people always. And so that's what I like is that these specific things that I feel passionate about, I'm able to talk to people uh, about it. And I'm just really happy with the growth. What's the, what's the topic that surprised you the most that, that people responded to that of a video that you put out? Oh, definitely when I started doing the AEW uh, race videos, uh, because I, I talk about race and wrestling, I think more than most. And, and there was a period of time where whenever Money in the Bank would come along, I would always kind of bang the drum like, why can't they put this on a black person? Because the Money in the Bank can make anybody. It, this is just a decision. This is not something anybody earns. This is a briefcase that you've built up. And for some reason, they always evade putting it on a black person. They, in fact, it was all white for years. So whenever I bring that kind of stuff up, I would actually lose followers. And and I would, it's a hill I'm willing to die on. People would engage. But I always prepared to like, well, we get ready for, to turn a lot of people off by talking about this. So when I started doing the AEW stuff, I expected the same thing. Well, okay, this is something that you believe in, but just be ready that people are going to be turned off by it. But it had the opposite effect. And I think it kind of opened a lot, a lot of conversations. And, and I learned a lot from uh, talking about that. And I continue to do so. Which is wonderful. And I think it's a conversation that's needed. Um, ever since I, you know, I think a lot about what happened with Big Swall. I don't think people understood necessarily what she was saying because when she left, she said, you know, Tony Khan is treating black women within wrestling was not great. Uh, but she was also pointing out that the main event scene for AEW was very white because Tony's response was, when you talking about Jay Cargill as a champion, I, of mm -hmm. course, of course, but they, they, they missed the bigger picture of it's almost entirely white at the top of the card. And so, like, I'm glad that these things come up because it's a discussion that everyone should have. Like, it's like I said, wrestling is for everybody. It's something that anyone anywhere on the planet can easily understand. Why on earth would you just limit it to like a bunch of white guys at the top of the card with like undisputed? I, I love undisputed era. It's not a slight against them, but you know, it, they're all very white, right? So, yeah. I'll, like, so I'm curious because it reminds me of something Phil Lindsay said when I, I chatted with him. He had said. You know, the thing that surprised him most about being an opinion columnist when it came to writing about wrestling was writing about race. He thought people weren't going to respond to it, but people really responded to it. So I, I just I, I love hearing that. Tell me what what were your big takeaways from that conversation as you did the AEW race series? I that's when I really started to realize the tribalism of fans. And what stood out was a lot of people would say that because AEW is their favorite company, they're not willing to address any wrongdoings that would happen. You know, I, I tried not to, and generally, I don't think it's a good idea to sit in the comment section and read yes. all the comments that are being written, but I, I like getting a feel for it. And when it comes to my channel, I read everything because I want to engage with this audience. And these are people who are going to be very important to me in terms of as the channel grows, it's the people who are there first. So I try to take time to anybody who leaves a comment there. And I was surprised by the lengths people would go when I wasn't even criticizing AEW per se. And, and to your point, there a lot of these wrestlers I love. I love Adam Cole. I love watching Orange Cassidy. It's not that I hate all these white people. They need to leave. It's just yes. like, this is a scripted product about athletes. You can't get black people in there. Like, isn't right. that crazy? That's right. all my point is. And, and not even being able to address that because of a love of AEW helped me realize that obviously it's on both sides, but there's a real tribalism problem that regardless of the issue, people are willing to die on these hills. Yeah, it's it's been my one frustration with wrestling fans is I, I think that like I said, the industry could be a billion dollar business, but I, I feel like there's that entrenched, there's tribalism. But then you also I, I heard a story about how there are two GCWs and they don't get along with each other, mm. uh, which to me is just incredibly stupid. 
uh, like there's there's not a lot of community building. It's it's very much us against them, tribal, and I, I'm all for building the ecosystem. I, I love the YouTube channel. I, I wish it to to grow as much as you would love it to grow. Tell us where we can find it, where we can find you online. Absolutely. And thank you so much for the kind words. It's Pro Wrestling Bits on YouTube. So uh, Pro Wrestling B-I-T-S. You can go bit.ly slash these bits as well. And just go on my Twitter. It's got a link there at this is nasty uh, on Twitter and just read my articles on Forbes. I'm on Wrestling Inc. Tuesdays and Fridays talking NXT, Rampage and SmackDown. I got one last question for you. What is what is the best match or your favorite match? that you've ever seen, if you have one? Like, is there one that just stands out as like, that was the greatest thing ever? Yes, this does change, but one of my favorites that does stand up is CM Punk versus John Cena at Money in the Bank yes. in 2011. I was just thinking about it because we just had the anniversary of CM Punk's contract being up. And just from the beginning of that story being told to the end, I thought it was just a masterpiece. And it just had the right amount of realism and sports entertainment incorporated in it. So yeah, I thought it was great. It reminds me of the Steve Austin and Bret Hart feud, right? Yes. Like it's got that same level of intensity and realism and stuff behind the scenes. And it's just fascinating. Uh, this was wonderful. I would love it if you come back and, and join me again um, in, the, in the fall to talk about like what, what's going on in the world of wrestling. I'd love to. It'd be an honor. This is a lot of fun. Well, that's our show. And uh, our, our apologies to the band. You know, we kind of just ran out of time. That's kind of the, uh, that's the nature of things. It's the, it's the name of the game. Hey, hey, hey. Vaped Crusaders comes out on the 20th of every month. The 20th. You can't smoke that in here. Oh, wait, what day is it now? Do I look like a fucking calendar to you? Hey, man, I don't need all the attitude and stuff. You know, I don't, I don't need it. Well, I don't need your face your vape, or your... Are those Air Jordan 3 OGs? Yeah. Yes. Those are $4,500 sneakers. I know. They're pretty sweet. Yeah, they are. No. Wait. I don't like you. Don't make me like you. I'm not, man. I'm just out here. I'm just trying to relax, dude. I'm on you, pal. You're trying to do some Jedi mindfuck bullshit, <laughs> and... I don't... I don't think that's what it's called. I don't think that's the thing. You want to play mind games with me, motherfucker? All right, let's dance. Make sure to tune in to Vape Crusaders. New episodes are going to drop every month on the 20th, right here on Weibo.tv. Okay, your, your, your middle name is Macho, but uh, I'm wondering if you ever cry. You ever, has Macho Man ever cried? Yeah. Really? Uh-huh. 
It's okay for macho men to show every emotion available right there, you know, because I've cried a thousand times, I'm gonna cry some more. But I've soared with the eagles and I've slithered with the snakes and I've been everywhere in between. And I'm gonna tell you something right now. There's one guarantee in life and that there are no guarantees, yeah. And I understand this. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes a quitter. Nobody said life was easy, so if you get knocked down, take the standing eight count, get back up, and fight again. Did you enjoy today's show? If you did, please take a minute and leave us a review. Yes, we know you're busy, and every podcast asks you to do this, but there's a good reason they do. Because every time you leave a review, that review helps more people find and listen to the show. And you know what that means for you? More great episodes of Weiwo.tv. So what are you waiting for? Take out your phone and leave us a review right now before you move on to something else and forget about us. And we'll see you next time, right?